like to talk to our young ones uh, and tell you all what this passage is going to be about, uh, and then we'll, we'll say a few things about it. Uh, uh, kids, are you guys supposed to boss your parents around? No. You want to, it seems unfair that they get to do all the bossing, but that's the way it is. The parents are in charge. Kids, y'all remember the day you were born? So I go back in your head and just remember the day you were born. Okay, if you remember that, like remember when you were born, parents had absolute power over you. And like in just like a few ways, like think of this, like one, they had physical power over you. you they could carry you in their arms. They could put you down and, and pick you up. They could put you down and leave you there knowing you're going to stay there because that's all you were. You were just a big ball of a baby. Like you couldn't walk, you couldn't move around or anything. They had absolute power over you physically. Uh, how about this? They also had economic power over you. That's the, the money thing. When you were born, when you showed up in this world, you showed up naked and broke. They had all the money. Uh, they, they owned everything. And, and they had brain power over you. Like when you were born, they were smart, and you were this, I'm not being mean, you were this dumb little baby. Like, you didn't do anything, you, except you, you pooped your pants. Like, they knew everything, you knew nothing. Okay, the older you get, though, kids, the older you get, the more your parents' power over you lessens, like, more and more. Because think about it, you get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and as we get older, we parents get a little weaker and weaker. Everything starts hurting, and we actually start shrinking uh, you, like also, like you're gonna go up, and you're gonna get a job, and, and you're gonna start making your own money. We hope, like you have to. You gotta go up. You gotta make your own money. Uh, and, and we're gonna retire, and we may need you to support us. And and you get smarter, and we lose our minds. That's what's gonna happen. Like as we all get older, like our power over you lessens, lessens, lessens. But that's that's like when you're older, older. Uh, not while you're still a kid, unless you're Jesus. And this is what we're going to read right now, this morning, this sixth lesson, is that when Jesus was just a 12-year-old boy, when he's just 12, he tells his parents he already has absolute power over them. And he's not being mean about it. Like, he's not being rude. He's not being mean. He's actually being super kind about it when he tells Mary and Joseph, I actually have absolute power over you. Because at this point... When he's 12, the big deal is Jesus already knew that he was fully God and fully man. Like he already knows. He knew he was a miracle. He knows he's a miracle baby. You know, this is what we celebrate at, at Christmas. And he knew why he came down from heaven to be born as a baby. Now we have some 12-year-olds in here. Like raise your hand, our 12-year-olds. Any, our 12, you know, like we got some 12-year-olds over here, just look at them. Got a 12-year-old Evelyn's over here, just look at her. Like look at our 12-year-olds, okay? Uh, older ones, rem go back and remember when you can do this. Remember when you were 12. Younger ones, think about like that day is coming when you're gonna turn 12. Like what would you do if you were 12 years old and you knew you were God? If I was 12 and I knew I was God, I know I would be getting everything I wanted for Christmas and I'd make it snow and I wouldn't let the pipes freeze using my God powers. Like I'd make everything awesome the way I think everything should be awesome. If I was 12 and I knew I was God, I, 
I would only be thinking about myself and all the awesome stuff I wanted to do. This, what we're about to read, y'all, young ones, when Jesus is 12 and he knows he's God, all he thinks about, all he cares about, all he wants to do is to live for you and to die for you in order to save you because he loves you. Can you imagine being 12? And that's what Jesus is thinking. Kid Jesus, that's all he's thinking about. He knows that's why he came, to live for you and to die for you, to save you. Jesus was never confused about who he was or about what he was supposed to be doing. And today, it's still tr- today in heaven, loved ones, young ones, Jesus is not confused about what he is doing right now in your life. Jesus is not confused about what he is doing with you. You, young ones, you can be confused. You can be confused and say like, Jesus, I love you. I don't know what you're doing right now. And that's okay. Because you can know and trust he's not confused. He knows exactly what he's doing with your life right now. And whatever he's doing, it's a really good thing. Please stand for our sixth lesson this morning that comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 42 to 51. The child, this is Jesus, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Uh, this is one of those passages I've only ever heard uh, two other pastor mentors of mine uh, preach on this. So thanks to a Todd and a Tim. Uh, so thankful for them. But this is just one of those ones. This is one of those Christmas passages that maybe we don't hear so much about. It sounds obvious to say that Jesus would know that he is fully God and that he's fully man. But it does raise an interesting question. Like when? When, like when? When did Jesus know he was fully God and fully man? When did Jesus know who he was? Like, do you, let's just, like, do you think he? Do you think he knew when he was a baby in Mary's arms? I mean, there there is a fourth there's fourth century African theologian who once said, "How is it possible that at the very same time Mary was cradling baby Jesus in her arms, that that baby was cradling the whole world in his providence?" And we want, we want to be careful not to take away from his humanity, fully, fully man. Jesus was fully man. But when the Son of God took on humanity in the incarnation, he did not cease to be what he had always been, 
God. So, could he have known who he was as a baby, like before he can string together like a sentence? Or as soon as he was capable of rational thought, like as a child, did God the Father give God the Son, little child Jesus, that, that knowledge of who he was? Or was it, you know, was it Mary and Joseph telling little Jesus more and more and more about, you know, about his birth and how he came from God? He didn't come from Joseph. And that, that an angel came to Mary and an angel came to Joseph and gave them this prophecy of, of who Jesus really, really is, that he would be God's son. And then, like, maybe finally one day, like, Jesus had this aha moment. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm God. Like, li- I am. I am the Lord of my life. Oh, and I'm the Lord of everyone else's life. I, like, he's, he's also fully God, so does he, does he always know? We don't know. We don't know. But we do know, by the time he was 12, he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he came to do. And Luke tells us this story. Uh, of course, this all goes together. It all coincides. Uh, he tells us a story about Jesus' awareness when he's 12, because in Jewish culture in the ancient Near East, when you turn, when you go from 12 to 13, you become an adult. And you take on adulting duties. Here, Jesus is at the cusp of turning from childhood to adulthood, and he is fully aware, and he is self-conscious that he is the God-man, and he's ready to take on his God-adult duties. And it's Passover. There are three main Jewish festivals uh, where all the, all the Jewish people would travel up to Jerusalem. You got Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. The highlight was Passover, this one. So they go to Jerusalem. Family goes, and they celebrate the Passover for a week, and they start making their way home to Nazareth. That, that first night, they stop to camp, and they can't find Jesus. And Jesus' mom has this, that horrible realization some of us have had. I've lost my child. They lost Jesus, and that's not as irresponsible as it might sound to, to us. Back in the day, in the ancient Near East, they, they traveled in these caravans made up of the, like the village. You traveled with the village, and it was one big family, you know, cousins and aunts and uncles and friends, and normally the older boys would travel up front with the men, and the younger ones, the younger kids, would travel with uh, uh, the rest of the women and the rest of the kids in the back of the caravan. Jesus is right at that cusp of 12, going on 13. So Joseph and Mary are looking at each other at the end of the day saying, I I thought he was with you. And they lose it, and they freak out. And they've already traveled one day, so it takes another day to get back to Jerusalem. takes another day of searching to find the kid. He's been missing three days. They finally find him at the temple, and he's alive, and he's okay. And he's just hanging there talking to the rabbi scholars like nothing is wrong. And Mary goes to him and says, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. This is a rebuke. Mary is rebuking Jesus. What are you doing? What were you thinking? All that stuff that we would say. Like, what, what are, do you realize you've been missing for three days? You didn't leave with us. You, 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 and, and look at you. You've not even been looking for us. Like, what have you been doing the past three days? This is so disrespectful, so unthoughtful, so selfish of you to treat us like this and to scare us to death. And this is, you know, and she's, what she's intimating here, this is your big year. You know, you're about to become a man and you are not acting like a, a man. 
young man. And, and you know, we can look at this and we say, like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, Jesus, you're in the temple. You're, ta- you're talking up rabbis. Let, let's just talk about some of that law stuff. What about the law? What about the Ten Commandments? What about that Fifth Commandment thing of honor your mom and your dad? Because if Jesus knew what he was doing and he knew the kind of panic that this would cause his parents and Jesus, you know, is the son of God and he knows it and that means he's perfect and holy and never sinned, how is he not breaking the fifth commandment here? Here, Here's what the issue is not. The issue is not that Jesus is in the temple perfectly okay. It's not that he's talking to these teachers, totally okay. In fact, at these festivals, that's what you did. The rabbis would get the kids together to teach them. Like, we're going to learn about our Judaism. We're going to learn about our faith. And, and they would ask them what they knew. Like, what do you know about Israel? What do you know about the temple? What have your parents taught you? You know, what's your dad taught you? What, what do you know about the scriptures? The teachers ask the questions, and the kids answer the questions. What kids did not do is ask the teacher the questions. You know, but, but his parents find Jesus with these teachers, and Jesus is answering their questions, and he's asking some of his own. And the rabbis are saying, who is this kid? They're not thinking like this kid is God. They're thinking this, is, this kid is an amazing prodigy. But Jesus' parents are not so amazed. They're scared, and they're hurt. So Mary rebukes Jesus, and there's definitely, definitely something there to Mary leading with your Father and I have been searching everywhere for you, worried out of our minds. And Jesus responds, I've been with my father. And it's not like, he's not saying, Joseph's not my dad. You know, it's, it's not that. But you want to pay attention to this. What Jesus says here are his first words recorded in the Bible. You know, we, we love his first miracle. We love his first parable. We should, we, you know, those, yeah, okay, this tells us something. These are his first recorded words in Scripture. What Jesus literally says is, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father? This Jesus is challenging Mary and Joseph, and, and that, it, yes, it's true, they are his earthly parents, not, not Joseph by blood, but legally they are both his parents, but he does have a father in heaven to whom he is even closer, infinitely more so, who is the authority, much greater authority than Mary and Joseph were to him. And it's not just that God the Father, who's a greater authority to Jesus than Mary and Joseph, it's 12-year-old Jesus himself who is a greater authority to Mary and Joseph because he is God. There's this, uh, there's this critique uh, about Hollywood, I think this is fair, about um, how Hollywood portrays its heroes, uh, that Hollywood d- doesn't like to portray uh, their hero protagonist as, uh, as the kind of hero who's certain of who they are you know, and what they have to do. Hollywood prefers, Hollywood likes conflicted heroes you know, because the audience cannot relate uh, to a kind of hero who's just who's not conflicted, uh, who doesn't who doesn't doubt themselves. So, J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, hero in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it's it's it, one of the heroes is Aragorn. Uh, in the books, the way Tolkien wrote Aragorn, uh, Aragorn knows he's the promised king. Like he gets it, he knows who he is, and he knows what he, he knows what he has to do. He never apologizes for it. He doesn't doubt himself. Uh, but 
uh, in the movies, uh, Viggo Mortensen Aragorn is just torn on the inside, and, and he's brooding, and he's doubting, and he's conflicted. He's the reluctant hero who finally accepts who he is. And Hollywood does this, Hollywood has done this with our iconic superheroes like Superman and Wonder Woman. Henry Cavill, Superman, and Gal, is it Godot, Godot, Gal Godot, uh, Wonder Woman, they have to have these self-actualizing moments. Uh, they have to have these arcs uh, where they finally accept who they are. Hollywood does this with all, all their heroes. The one exception, the one exception that I can think of might be Wesley in The Prin Princess Bride which is why it's the best movie ever. Uh, uh, but, but in all the other, I'm telling you, in all, let's just be absolute about this. In all the other Hollywood stuff, uh, the heroes struggle realizing that they're the hero, who they are, what they have to do. They have, Hollywood has even done this with Jesus. Uh, the temptation of Christ, Jesus Christ superstar, in those Jesuses, he's struggling. He, he's wondering, is, you know, is that who I am? Or, I just don't know, you know kind of thing. That's n and, and you know for our Bible scholars here, don't, that's not what's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, if you're like, wait a second, no, that's not what's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. There, Jesus, uh, he is not in doubt; he's in suffering because he begins to take on, he begins to taste the wrath of God of what is to come on that cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. But here is twelve-year-old Bible Jesus saying, "Yeah, that's who I am." Do you know who I am? And, and it's not just Jesus is aware of who he is. He's also aware of what he came to do. When Mary rebukes Jesus, again, remember our, our ancient Near Eastern context. He's 12, going on 13. This is a year of intensive training for Jesus where he's learning the craft. You know, he's learning his, his, his craft trade. He's learning, uh, he's learning more and more about the faith and Judaism and their history. And he's apprenticing under dad. And so... Mary rebukes Jesus as if to say, like, of all times, of, of all the years, like this year when you're supposed to be apprenticing under your father and then learn your work from your father, this, this is the one year you should be doing the will of your father. This is the one year you should be honoring your father. And Jesus' response is, Mom, I am. I'm honoring my father. I am doing the will of my father. And when he says he's got to be about his father, uh, that's to say he, he's got to be about the work the father has given him to do. He knows it. He knows. Jesus, kid Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus. Look at our 12-year-olds again. 12-year-old <laughs> Jesus. He knows he's moving from boyhood to manhood. Jesus is saying he understands that and he knows his mission. And that day, most of the Jews believed their savior messiah would come as a military messiah to defeat the romans the occupiers so the objection goes and i, I heard this throughout uh, college post-college stuff of like do you know how many messiahs there were all around the first century like you know how many people were running around and chasing all these supposed messiahs sorry there's nothing special about your messiah jesus except he was just one of many who claimed to be the Messiah. And to that we respond, you think that discredits Christianity? It only confirms it. Like the Old Testament is so specific about when the Messiah would come at this time. Everyone is expecting him. 
Everyone's expecting Messiah, which is exactly why you had imposters and self-deluded people trying to capitalize on everyone's expectations. I mean, right after our passage, right after this, some think that John the Baptist is the Messiah, and, and he outright denies it. But, but there were plenty of others. There were plenty of others uh, who took on that title for themselves. Uh, the first century Jewish historian Josephus, he writes about a guy named Thutis, who, who claimed to be the Messiah, and he got himself killed by the Romans. Uh, you can read about Judas, in, in Ga- uh, he was a Galilean. You can read about this guy in Acts 5, in the, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 5. He claimed to be the Messiah, he got himself killed. There was an Egyptian who claimed to be a prophet around the first century, claiming to be Christ, and he actually gained 30,000 followers. And he said he was going to bring down the walls of Jerusalem with a word, and the Romans killed him and his followers. And there were others. There there were more. We can go through. And they're all military. With all these military pretenders that have come uh, before Jesus, uh, during Jesus, trying to steal his thunder, here, here is kid Jesus, the God-man. He's not doing anything military. He's teaching the word of God. And here the religious experts that he's teaching, they do not know what to make of this kid. These are the experts. They don't know what to do with this kid. And Mary, who knows this kid better than anybody else, knows this kid better than any other living being, and she does not know what to make of her kid. And what does that tell us? It tells us something. It tells us that Jesus is confusing to those who don't know him. And Jesus is confusing to those who know him best. That spectrum covers all of us. We're all in there. His parents don't understand how Jesus could treat them like this, and Jesus says, I had to. It was necessary. I know you don't understand. One of the things we've got to wrestle with and confront is that as people... As people who love and know Jesus, Jesus will regularly, routinely confuse you, me, confuse us and our expectations for how he should behave and how he should be treating you. And and, and we all have those those seasons of, Jesus, I love you. Like, I know you. How can you treat me like this? What are you doing? And he is not going to tell you. Why? And this here tells us that Jesus knows what he's doing. And that he knows he knows what he's doing. But he doesn't tell us exactly why or what he's doing. But, but, like he says to Mary who is confused and who is hurt, there is a plan. Like, mom, there's a plan. You don't see it. But there's a plan. And actually, he does provide this sneak peek. There is a big foreshadowing with Mary here who is suffering because she has lost her son. But her, her real loss is coming. It's coming when she loses her son on the cross. And here in Luke 2, when her son is still a child, she is beginning to suffer because her son is already about the heavenly father's work. And that will culminate one day when she will lose him to the cross. But it's not just the death of Jesus that's foreshadowed here. Think about this. How long did Mary lose her son? For three days. Three days, and then 
she got him back. Come on. I mean, she would lose, she's going to lose him on the cross, but in three days, she will get him back. She will find him again. Luke is preparing us for what Jesus already knew, that the son would have to be born in this world and live the life of obedience that all of us should live but don't, and then die and suffer the condemnation that we deserve for our disobedience in our place. That's the work the father gave the son to do. Remember, y'all, adults, your turn. Come on, remember when you were 12. Can you imagine? Jesus is 12 and he knows he was born to die to take ultimate suffering for you. Jesus at 12 years old already knows that someone needs to obey in your place. This is why he goes, this is why at the end, this is not just a throwaway line. He goes home with his parents and he willingly and voluntarily submits to them as parents in order to fulfill that law. That is not what a 12 that is not what a 12-year-old thinks about except Jesus who at 12 is already thinking about your salvation. And Jesus at 12, think about this too, Jesus at 12 at the Passover meal, he's there, he's at the Passover, they're having that meal and he sits down with his, his family to his right and to his left and they're, and they're eating and, and he knows, he knows that his mom and dad, he knows that his family, he knows the people at the table, he knows that you and me, God's people, that we're going to need a better sacrifice than that Passover lamb. He knows as he looks at that Passover lamb, he knows he is the Passover lamb. Which means right here in Jerusalem, right here, as he's walking around in Jerusalem, uh, when he is beginning to reveal to others his work and what he came to do, he knew, he knows he's going to return to Jerusalem to finish that work on the cross. And Jesus knows this, and even though Mary is confused and hurt one day, it is going to become clear to her that, that Jesus, the Son of God, her Son, was loving her and saving her even here. And before it all became clear to her, even in the confusion, it says she went home and she still treasured this. She, she, she treasured all that Jesus had told her and all he had done. And we here, I mean, we are blessed. We here, we're on this side of the cross. We're on this side of his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. And we do have him right now. And, and let's be, and we are confused. Like we are all, like you live in the swamp of Houston, which is a perfect setting for us to get this kind of stuff. We are all waiting through a swamp of confusion that is this life. And it doesn't take, you know this, the confusion does not take a break for the holidays. You woke up on Christmas Eve this morning to a world in confusion. And some of you are feeling that so near and so personally right now. One commentator said this, he said, belief in God does not exempt us from feelings of abandonment by God. Praising God does not inoculate us from doubts about God. So what are we supposed to do? In the confusion, treasure what you do know about Jesus. I was, I was talking to one of my seminary professors earlier this year and I asked him, a. it was really an unfair question, and I wrote to him because I wanted his response in writing so I could go back to it. Uh, and I asked, I said, what is the challenge facing the church today? That's such, that's such an unfair question. Uh, and at first he said, 
I'm not the one to talk about the challenges facing the church. I've always been in academic circles and aware of unsatisfactory doctrinal positions of church leaders, which is a serious problem. You know, there. And then he puts his pastor hat on. He says, he says, but it is difficult to understand why people think or behave the way they do and why things occur as they do. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in control and can be trusted no matter what the circumstances, as difficult as that is to do, that is the challenge for the church. And only, and he says, only God's wisdom can meet that challenge. Wisdom, as we're talking about confusion, wisdom does not mean you know everything. You can be wise and confused because wisdom trusts God no matter the circumstances. And biblical wisdom Biblical wisdom knows joy in the midst of vanity and frustration. Biblical wisdom knows hope in the midst of sadness. And it's because of the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for a time to gather together uh, in order to be confronted once again with the awesomeness and the truth of your gospel, that you've come for us, born to live, born to die, to give up everything in order to give us life that does not end. And so we pray for one another right now uh, as we, we want and seek to celebrate this season uh, together with family, with friends. Lord, uh, also not wanting to, to hide or deny, live in denial of the confusion and the hurt that we're experiencing right now too. It's just a hard, it can be such a, a joyful and hard season all at the same time. We feel schizophrenic about it. Lord, in the midst of all of that hardness and confusion, we pray that you would continue to show us your son and the hope that we have in him. That you would continue to show us the work that he has done that we can't do. That it is accomplished. That it being our salvation Now we'd hold on to that. Father, give us, we pray this morning, give us heavenly mindedness as we think about and we celebrate that first advent of our Lord and Savior. Give us us a faith that looks towards that second advent and help us to hold out that joy, help us to hold out that hope to one another and to those who don't have it and help us to hold it out to each other graciously, we pray in Christ's name, amen. If you will look here, uh, this table is the gospel made visible. Uh, of, it's a foretaste of that heavenly feast to come.